before this episode begins in previous instalments covering the gunfighters and definitely in the next episode where episode four and the gunfight at the OK Corral is covered. I talk a lot about the cinematographer, the film cameraman, Ken Westbury, who is responsible for the film work in The Gunfighters. When I recorded these commentaries, Ken was still with us, but sadly I've learnt as I've been, well, just as I finished putting these episodes together, but I had to do a bit of minor surgery to this one, so I'm recording this introduction, especially to cover to cover this sad situation that Ken Westbury, at the grand age of 96, he was a clapper loader on Kind Hearts and Coronets. He worked on Whiskey Galore, The Cruel Sea, a lot of those brilliant Ealing films, as well as being the film cameraman on many a Doctor Who, uh, including he, d- he did The Abominable Snowmen, but not the film, you know, not the location footage, but he did some of the stuff uh, at, at, in the studio, the sort of model work and all of that. But uh, is, is, is big too, really. He also did The Invasion of Time. But, but uh, the ones uh, that I think are most relevant to Happy Times and Places right now uh, are this one, The Gunfighters, uh, where he does some sterling work, and Fury from the Deep, which has been subject to previous scrutiny on Happy Times and Places, and for which Ken gave us an interview for the commentary on the release of the animated version of Fury from the Deep. I'm so deep. I'm so glad uh, I got to spend some time in his orbit. A real legend, one that Doctor Who was lucky to have. He also was BAFTA nominated for Pennies from Heaven and The Singing Detective, and he was a nice and really helpful guy, and... Uh, it was a great pleasure that we were able to get him onto the DVD range and that he contributed to it so generously. But he will be popping up, as I say, in the mentions, but mostly I think of next week's episode, of the next instalment, episode four of The Gunfighters, and I'm talking about him in the present tense because at that point uh, this sad event had not happened. But R.I.P. Ken Westbury, a legend of the industry and probably one of the more undersung heroes of Doctor Who, and I'm no singer, but uh, I try to occasionally uh, compose the right tune uh, when the circumstances require me to do so. With rings on their fingers and bells on their toes, it's happy times and places in which I, Toby Haydock, ringless and bellless. The only thing I'll be ringing is the positives as I watch an episode of Doctor Who and try and guess what my special guest's favourite thing about it might be. Hello, my name is Martin Jameson. I was born Martin Jacobs. And my father was Anthony Jacobs, who was an actor who some of you will know, played Doc Holliday in the four-part Doctor Who series with William Hartnell called Gunfighters. Well, welcome one and all. We're enjoying the gunfighters here at Happy Times and Places, you darn tootin' we are. Um, uh, it's a joy to be doing this and getting sort of feedback live as I'm releasing one episode at a time just because of the way that it's fallen out. Uh, I'm not, uh, I haven't had uh, the opportunity to do the whole thing in one go, but it means that I release it uh, over on Patreon and, uh, you know, it feels like I'm watching along with uh, everybody over in that uh, enclave of joy that is uh, patreon.com forward slash dobiedoke but that's not why i'm mentioning it i try and leave the plugs to the end of the show however uh, it's simply that this has been quite unusual because people have been joining in and going yeah i like this so i was glad that jim smith for example mentioned let's hope the piano knows it which is uh, a beautiful line that i'd talked over um and we're enjoying matthew jacobs giving a great insight into his dad who plays doc holiday who I think uh, is is one of the uh, strongest things about this story. And uh, Joe Llewellyn, who's a viewer from the States, uh, has, has been saying that he's been enjoying uh, the story and uh, that, uh, you know, putting the bad accents to one side. So I asked Joe, uh, who he felt was doing a good job and who was doing a bad job accent-wise. I'd put in my two pennyworth, I think, uh, Anthony Jacobs, uh, John Alderson, uh, and and Shane Rimmer, and then coming up, Reed DeRuin, who was a genuine American, uh, were the were the strongest, uh, and uh, certainly Billy and Ike were the weakest. We'll get to Johnny Ringo uh, this episode, and uh, Joe says, yeah, he feels that uh, that uh, Anthony Jacobs is is pretty you know pretty spot on and doing the sort of Southern gentleman thing very well, and uh, and the Clanton boys are not so hot. So that's from. Uh, 
not from the horse's mouth, but from the uh, United States of America's mouth. Um, So thanks to Joe for that insight. But everyone's having a good time watching it, and I'm going to continue to do that. This story that for years... Uh, was you know the one story you could say in the in you know in the days as I say growing up you know the idea that any old Doctor Who would be bad it was all hallowed ground apart from uh, you know yeah the, the gunfighters was bad the worst Doctor Who story ever and there was kind of little besmirchments within write-ups of um, uh, the underwater menace was deemed you know was deemed to be slightly you know, subpar. The, sl- the space pirates were slow. Invasion of the dinosaurs had unsuccessful dinosaurs. Am- Ambassadors of Death was sort of a bit, a bit choppy. Um, Colony in Space was perhaps underwhelming for the first, you know, the first story to go into space of the Pope era. Those were the sort of little rumblings early on. Those were the ones that might have been slightly question marked. Um, but you know, most things were great. And then, of course, we got to that point where. I remember finding a Doctor Who bulletin at on on uh, uh, the the stall at a Doctor Who convention, and I uh, I was they'd done their their poll, and it had the you know, all time classics and all time clangers, and uh, I, I, you know it was like a brave new world. What those people make lists of the stories they think are awful. This is terribly exciting, and I reveled in those, and I read them over and over again. And then of course you know other things come out which start you know saying what's bad about the thing that you like you go, oh this is really exciting i suddenly feel all you know it's i, I love uh you know I, I love to sort of give a kicking to a story especially if it's a story that everybody likes so i would you know i would do a kick even if just in my own head i'd write my own guidebooks at home you know where i take great joy in sort of pulling up a, a story that i thought had too good a reputation uh and uh, but of course also you know sticking up for the stories everyone slagged off because you know everybody slags those stories off so let me tell you uh, that actually they're hugely underrated um so of course I, i've never quite been able to give a fair and proper assessment to the gunfighters because of my predilection to to to, to sort of stick up for the underappreciated to uh, get behind the underdog which i'm not sure is an entirely as benevolent as I probably like to think it is. I think there's a certain streak of elitism about it. Actually, going, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I can see the quality in this thing that, you know, the hoi polloi slag off. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not bigging myself up when I say I've, I've, I've always felt uh, that the gunfighters was 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 good fun uh, and, and and better than its reputation. I I do think that speaks to a little bit of my own vanity. We're complicated creatures, aren't we? Uh, and perhaps I'm delving too deep into my own psychology when thinking about Doctor Who but I mean that could that could be the story of my life anyway what I do know for sure is that I've been enjoying watching the gunfighters as part of this happy times and places I hope if you've come as somebody that's used to it being slated uh, you've you've found some you know some kinship in uh, this uh, this love-in uh, and if you're somebody that doesn't like it you know the positivity that emanates from this has maybe made you a bit more sympathetic towards it let's see i hope so i hope mostly that you're just entertained and you don't think i'm a prick base that's that's my main that's my main uh, <laughs> aim in life full stop but um nothing is guaranteed but i do my best anyway let us now watch episode three of the gunfighters which is named after it's it's a uh, it's a, it's an episode that uh uh, that uh, is 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 named after the the new character that comes in about whom there's quite a lot to say, uh, so we are going to press play. I'm I'm manipul- I'm wrangling a lot of remote controls at the moment. We're going to press play in three, two, one, and it's time for Johnny Ringo. Um, which gives the story a sort of new lease of life with a new, you know, fairly major presence in the story. And in fact, he is the main guest star. Lawrence Payne gets uh, top guest billing uh, in in this. He's in, a, and he's, you know, and 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 so, you know, he's got yeah above above John Alderson, who's come over from Hollywood. So you know, these are these are major castings. This is not done on the done on the cheap. 
this uh, this cliffhanger looks like it's being played back in from uh, back from film. Um, there we go. Uh, now, some, I'm sorry, I've been thinking about cliffhangers and reprises because even some that are the same might have been re-recorded with the session last week and have minor differences. So I haven't compared to some, of course, are re reenacted. That one wasn't reenacted this week. Uh, so it was either played in from last week's or it was recorded again after last. The only thing that makes me question is, is, is I think Ike Clanton's delivery of his line is slight different but that could be me imagining it because um cliffhangers that we don't know are, are, are remounted or alternate takes are fairly murky um in the missing episodes um and in fact i was listening to reese williams pointed there by rick byatt uh, faithful and uh, kind and supportive uh, patron and other things um uh, that uh, the galaxy for the reconstruction has uh, cliffhanger elements that we've not had released before on soundtrack or on physical media uh, but and, and they're not even on the animation because some of the soundtracks when they were recorded were were sort of chopped together and uh, I've mused on that on the Marco Polo too much information about whether the cliffhangers and reprises we have are actually the correct ones and I've not quite got to the bottom of that but that's got nothing to do with this apart from the fact that it's it's made me imagine uh, so so don't write don't don't write in I'm not uh, it's it's no great mystery that it's just I uh, I suddenly thought oh has he delivered that line slightly differently because that is a you know a possibility but I think I think it's more likely that it's just uh, it's just last week's uh, played in from film although I uh, know because it would have had the I like that <laughs> I'll lay you out so cold you'll freeze very good um I'm going to revisit that cliffhanger. Um, but anyway, um, this. so yes, I remember this because Phineas gets quite a bit more to do in the book because he gets he gets put in jail. Phineas is, is the funniest of the Clanton brothers in the book. The book is very different. The book is, of course, narrated by, well, Ned Buntline, who was a real uh, reporter, wasn't he? Um, but that's a brilliant shot. I love that the amount of depth of field that... Uh, Tucker gets in that shot. Look at the buildings behind with what looks like a light in a top window. Uh, there's even a, 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 a an extra there who is possibly Chinese, which uh, gives a, a, a bit more of a sort of accurate depiction of uh, of, of the of the sort of the, the the human landscape, as it were, of of the time and unusual for Doctor Who at that time. Uh, so a little bit of an attention to detail. I mean, it's, and this is sort of, this is, I know it's in the studio, but it's night shooting as a sort of darkness and shadow. And isn't Charlie a prick? <laughs> he comes and interferes. Uh, he's, he's a, and, and you can see what David Graham is trying to do here with his, uh, is it Walter Brennan? The kind of, oh, hey, boss, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, and he's, he's, he got cotton wool in his cheeks. Um, uh, uh, but, but, and and you know he's he's giving real character to this. That's awful. I mean, Charlie's Charlie's a terrible, uh, you know, got a gossip and, uh, and 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 trying to get in. You know, he, he says it. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want you boys getting into trouble. But it's because he's, you know, he he loves being involved and he loves sort of being part of it and manipulating and gossiping, which is uh, what undoes him, as we will see later. Um, but look at me, he's wonderfully sort of craven at the back there. Uh, I, it's, it's a performance I'm not quite sure works, but I, I enjoy what he's doing. But I'm loving this, uh, you know, that's, that must be a photo blow up at the back. But you can see the lights in the, in the windows uh, and, uh, and, uh, and a wagon and everything. And, and, he, and, and sometimes when these episodes are tarted up, those backdrops look a bit phony. Um, and I can see that that one is slightly, but it's it. But I mean, that's on a massive screen and really, really tarted up. I think the the design by Barry Newbury is uh, superb. He's gone kind of mental under Herp's heavy blow. This is where Rex Tucker's uh, writing of the uh, extra verses, because because the song was in it, but Rex Tucker, the director, decided to get some extra verses in there in all the the incidental music 
you know, be the song, which divides people. I think it's absolutely fine. I love the. Fa- I mean, don't you? I love the fact that following a story about blow, you know, uh, nightmarish versions of children's parlor games, and before a story uh, that is a you know thoughtful philosophical sci-fi tale about exploitation you've got a comedy western uh where the incidental music is a song i love i love the way reed deruin decides to pay by flicking his coin and banging it on the desk he immediately comes in with a much better accent than anybody else because he's actually american uh he's also got a uh a bowler hat on which i love and i just love how dirty his shirt is and things like that You, you know you know all these guys absolutely stink and a grotty, and I've got sort of grime in every pore, uh, and he is poor, Clanton. Uh, he's grime in every pore, Clanton. Um, but Reed Deruin, at, at, at some point, was writing a Doctor Who script with John Pertwee. He was mates with with John Pertwee. Um, but uh, I, I remember, I think Peter Purvis knew Reed Deruin and had been a stage play with him. But um, it's funny, I get on very well with Peter Purvis and he's a nice man and an excellent broadcaster and great to have on a commentary. But uh, I, have to, I have to limit the amount of times I correct him. Uh, it's just me se- sensing because uh, make, he makes quite a few statements in commentaries that aren't, aren't necessarily true, which is fine when you haven't got a moderator. Uh, it's, it's a bit awkward when you are, are the moderator because you sort of get... And I think there was a couple of things I'd corrected him on in this and so when he said Reed DeRuin was Canadian I'm sure he does in the in the commentary I just let that go even though I knew he was American um because I I felt I I'd pushed it enough uh so that's one of the things nobody talks about when, when you're being a moderator it's sometimes you you know you have to for the sake of being you know polite and politic because also you don't want your whole role to be ah, actually I think you'll find because that's annoying um but uh and I'm I, his next extraction's gonna be a bullet. Um, I, that's one of the rare somebody addresses a camera in Doctor Who. I mean, that's up there with the bootstrap paradox and not even the sonic screwdriver will get us out of this one. Nobody talks about Charlie the Barman breaking the fourth wall. A lot of high-angle camera shots. This is beautiful stuff, though. Look how high those steps go as well. This is a really good production in a way. And look, another high angle. These cameras are beautiful. Dodo in a hat. I love Dodo in a hat. Why doesn't anyone? Th- why doesn't everyone think this story is brilliant? I absolutely love it. Um, you know, aside from whether the comedy is judged correctly or not, it's it's uh, you know again this is this is the story after the Celestial Toymaker and before the Savages. What a what a rich and varied template the show had under Wiles and Tosh. Really sort of stretching. Uh, the I know that that they're not the credited producer and script editor on this, but they are. They are the, the, the sort of people who, de- who developed it. Uh, and it's the end of Donald Cotton, who there's been a really good article about in Doc 2 magazine recently, and there's an excellent documentary online, uh, which it's really delve into him. And uh, in, in many ways, I sort of almost wish they, they hadn't, because, uh, you know, you, 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 you delve into anybody's life and there's triumph and disaster, and it, always the disaster makes me so sad. Um I always, always worried about Dodo in this one as well. I always, she always looks to me like she's had a flu jab in her arm because the, the, there's, there's a sort of smudge of dirt on on the top of her arm shirt, and I always think, oh, she looks like she's bleeding. Um, this is that's that's great. I bumped into an old friend. He kind of lost his appetite. I mean, could could you could you eat somebody's supper who who you know's just been shot? I think that's really grim. It's the sense of humour is quite sort of. The, the, the spectre of death uh, resides over it. You know, every joke is, is sort of flecked with the blood of the dead, which, you know, is, you know, the, the, we remember, you know, the, the Westerns were quite often sort of quite romantic uh, stories when, you, you know, when I was younger. It's only when you grew up and watched the sort of, you know, the slightly dirtier ones the, the, and, the, and the more morally complex ones that you go, you know, it, t- it certainly took me a while to realise that, the, you know, the wild west was quite as i think i think maybe my early understanding of it was you know the lawmen always beat the baddies you know um but but actually there's there's great moral complexity in the good westerns isn't there i mean we did high noon at university and that's that's the wonderful film about you know everybody walking out on the 
on the in knackered old Gary Cooper uh, and him then. And, you know, that story is that the, the, the story of that is nothing, really. It's just a series of betrayals. It's wonderful sort of character stuff. And that's got the song, hasn't it? Do not forsake me, oh, my darling. Um, uh, so, ah, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's odd because I wouldn't often choose to watch a Western. And there are some absolutely fantastic Westerns. Um, now, Johnny Ringo is an absolute. I was going to use a rude word there, but he is. He's horrible. Uh, he's very cool the way he smokes a, a black cheroot. Uh, he looks, he's very sexy. I think, uh, I think Lawrence Payne is, is a, a, a you know, has a, has a real presence. He's very handsome and he's all in black. And I think he's got black leather trousers. And I think that's a look that, yeah, you, you know, if you can pull it off, you're doing very, very well. Um, this part was offered to Patrick Troughton which would have been complicated, wouldn't it? Uh, Troughton as Johnny Ringo, would he then have been able to be cast as Doctor Who? I mean, you know, I know Free Radjaman appears in the very next story, but that's different landscape, different circumstances. I don't think he would have put them off if they'd really wanted him, but it would have, it would have been, yeah, it would have been the Maxill of the 60s. Uh, but it would have, it would have made this story have a different complexion. It would always be that one that's got the Doctor in it before, you know, before he's the Doctor. Um uh, and I, I always, it always, I always don't like that because you know when he says it's on the house and he goes, I never, I never figured different, uh, and you sort of go, but fancy, fancy there that bit, fancy being that guy that you can, you can just walk into a place and get free drinks or, or you'll kill people. I mean, you know, come on, the Wild West, that's a bit, that's a bit mean. Well, and of, and of course he then makes Charlie nervous. I mean, I know Charlie's a prick, but. He makes Charlie nervous, so Charlie just goes, oh, I can't wait. Sir. But you know that also that's Charlie's subconscious speaking, that he probably would go and tell Wired Earp. Um, but this this is pretty grim. Uh, and nice bit of business where he's holding the bottle. Um, might as well have drunk that. And that's, that's, that's really, really cruel and horrible. It's curtains for Charlie... Um, I mean, that's the jokes here are pretty harsh. Doctor Who's always sort of made you feel the weight of individual deaths. This is, this is, I mean, this is, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't undermine them, although it's sort of comedic in a sense, but it's comedic and grim. It's pretty unpleasant stuff. Um, Charlie the barman has gotten a shroud, uh, or has gotten a shroud, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty bad news for poor old Charlie. But it establishes Ringo as uh, you know a, a force to be reckoned with. He's wonderful in the book. He's really pretentious and reads Latin, doesn't he? And he's got that great joke where he gets killed. Which is a great joke where he gets he gets shot, <laughs> and he says, "My gall has just been divided into three parts," which is tortuous. But it kind of and you go, "Is that the, is that the whole reason you decided to make him this sort of?" pretentious leaf reader of uh, Latin. I, I, I really like that. Um, uh, this is a great scene for Dodo. And I love the fact that, you know, Doc's sort of laughing and then he sort of waits and takes it pretty seriously. Um, he's always got a stray bit of moustache in the middle, which I wish they'd get rid of. That that stray bit of moustache really annoys me, especially as I think it it, it is a false moustache. It is a false moustache. I wish they'd get rid of that bit at the front. It really bothers me. It's a bit like the spittle in the, the Master of the Land of Fiction in uh, in the Mind Robber. I, once you notice it, it never goes away. So I'm sorry if I've now given you an, an eye worm in the shape of a wispy bit of Doc Holliday moustache. He's wearing a hairpiece and a moustache. He was a, he was a bald man, Anthony Jacobs. Uh, I think at this stage. I'm sure Martin will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, everything I've seen him in, he's, uh, you know, he's, you know, no hair on top, but round the sides. Um, uh, that I I love that scene. For Do I think that might be Dodo's best scene in Doctor Who, where she forces Doc Holliday and then leans against him with the gun. Uh, and, then she, and she's so jolly here that he produces the gun and goes, I didn't want to shoot you either. So it's all this. Uh, and I mean, people don't faint in things anymore. Um, and, and obviously the idea that you know, women might faint because they're slightly overwhelmed by something is extraordinarily dated now but uh, it's very funny there and uh, I love that whole scene I think that whole scene is totally charming and 
probably Dodo's best moment in Doctor Who and will probably be my choice for this episode. Although, be warned, um, Martin has uh, sort of been listing a, a number of things. He's not been going for one particular thing. That's his interpretation of the brief, and that is fine. But it means that uh, there are going to be no winners and losers, or basically it means I, I, I am probably going to lose, but in a slightly different way to the way I, I normally lose. Um, look. Uh, oh, yeah. And talking of accents, I don't know where in heaven's name Johnny Ringo is supposed to be. Because Payne already has a slightly pinched delivery. He has a he has a, he, you know, his 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 he has a diction that is that has a pattern that is noticeable throughout of all of his performances. Uh in that you can tell that it's him talking when he's playing Morix and in the Leisure Hive and Dastari in The Two Doctors. Um, he, he has a certain way of pronouncing certain words that are very much his. Um, but he's obviously trying to do an accent here. But when, when he goes, oh, Charlie, you talk too much. Well, that might be his character doing an accent, putting on an accent in the same way that, you know, we do sometimes put on accents when we say certain things. Occasionally, you know, one might put on a... Uh, uh, well, we do. We, yeah, I, I can't think of examples now, but there is sometimes, sometimes where you go, oh, "What a mistake to make her," or whatever. You know, you put on a, you put on an accent, or, or I will sometimes say something with an Irish accent or something. Just I don't know. It's just a sort of tick that we do, isn't it? When we're we're trying to say that something's not being serious, or we're we're just trying to say it in a slightly more frivolous way, or we're just bored and trying to make the conversation sound different i don't know but we do we do do that and that's what he might be doing when he says oh charlie you talk too much huh? um but but unfortunately that doesn't help with what he's supposed to be doing the rest of the time because he's got this sort of rsc kind of dick you know he's a he's a you know he's a, a well-spoken although he does have that slightly slightly particular d delivery than pronunciation that he has on on which he's trying it seems to overlay an american accent i read an interview with him once where he said that when he first did it everyone burst out laughing and i can sort of see why and again not to uh i do a whole monologue on accents last week listen to that if you can bear it um but uh i yeah i i i'm i'm not sure he's altogether <laughs> successful i love this you've got a picture of it i excellent marks there to for john alderson for throwing johnny ringo's picture away <laughs> very good have, have i missed have i have i missed the bit where the doctor says the line about um doc holiday going uh he extract he lent me a gun he extracted my tooth what more do you want i <laughs> love all of that richard beale's doing some great cleaning his gun business there who in thunder would want to kill charlie oh and martin huntley here as warren earp now I've I've read quite a lot about the actual gunfight at the OK Corral, and Owen oh, Earp brother was murdered. Uh, and it was, but it was Morgan Earp was murdered, wasn't it? And not not Warren. Um, yes, so they've changed that up slightly, and I don't know why. Oh, a couple of cowboys. That's a nice piece of suggests a place is slightly more populous. And you do get a sense of location here. You do get the sense that Stephen and Ringo have sort of ridden out together. Um, I'm never entirely convinced by Johnny Ringo taking Stephen along with him, but uh, it's quite fun. Um, um but uh, yes, Warren Earp is Martin Huntley, who has been a Roboman in uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth, and he's one of the prisoners in the Sensorites. Uh, and he told me that he uh, didn't actually have an agent and was always done through BBC casting. So he gets three nice little parts in the Hartnell era, um, but had a family and ended up selling insurance, he told me. Um, and we got him in for the Sensorites for part six for the commentary. Uh, we didn't need him for this one because the gunfighters was one that had a load of people uh, still alive from at that point uh, and they did i was before my time was dalek invasion of earth but that still had quite a number of cast um so you know the only opportunity we got to talk to him was on part six of the sense rights and he's, he's turned down opportunities to do stuff since so uh, we got him then uh, and 
uh, you know, as I say, he's not he's not really agreed to do anything before or since. So um, he's so you know, given the time again, I think we'd have, you know got him in front of a camera and got him to tell us about everything. Uh, but you do what you can at the time. Uh, I sort of buy that these two have a history as well. Sheena Marsh uh, is really appealing to me this time around. I've not, you know, I've looked at other things when I've looked at the story in the past, but I think she's key to this story. And, you know, her, she's obviously an important part, but the way that she plays against Anthony Jacobs and William Hartnell in that scene I enjoyed last time, and now Lawrence Payne here, is kind of key. And she's very sort of, flirty and sassy and uh but without being glib uh, I, yeah i think sheena marsh is excellent and she never sadly um sort of responded or or played ball when approached just one of those people that um yeah didn't want to talk for whatever reason sometimes people sometimes people think they're not interesting sometimes people aren't interested uh, it's whatever we you know uh, he's, that's not a way to chat people up, Johnny Ringo. If a lady doesn't do what you want, don't, don't point a gun in her face. Or maybe do. Um, whatever works for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's suddenly made the thing seem a little bit uh, darker. Um, yeah, I remember Phineas in the book being quite, quite fun. Uh, and... Shane Rimmer reads the audiobook because it's it's written, you know, in the American idiom uh, and is closer in some ways to historical facts, because, as I'm sure we will discuss next week, the uh, the actual gunfight in the OK Corral, uh, only uh, only Billy Clanton was killed and there were uh, and Frank and Jack McClary, the McClary brothers, who do make a, a, a an entrance in the book um but this is a sort of simplified simplified version and uh, you know i mean <laughs> you know you you don't have to be too hard on historical fact when you're doing doctor as a comedy western um we're on the desk he's yeah he's his his accent's not actually bad and he's he's very sweet as the oh he's, he's very sort of rangy isn't he a rangy physique uh, tall. Oh, that's so sad. Poor old Warren. It's it's a curious one though because he. I mean, he's a character we've only just met. Um, and it's it's horrible, isn't it? That one of them shouts "Year who?" as they've just k killed a man, a very young man as well, which is very sad. Um, I mean, he's not quite dead yet, is he? Because we uh, you get some last words next week. Uh, it's a it's a curious way to end the episode on the on the sort of death of a character we've only just met. Uh, and then we go into next week, which has all sorts of things going on behind and in front of the camera. Uh, but I think that was a good episode because sometimes episode three can be a bit meandery, but you've introduced a new threat um, and, you know, springing the Clanton brother at the end as well. It means that they're on course to do what the next episode promises, which is the OK Corral. Um, you're selling yourself short. You should call it the Splendid Corral. Very good. The Tremendous Corral. Um, I was always a bit sad when uh, when I first watched this that because the Clanton brothers always get the first line of dialogue in every episode except next week but that's because they cut the recap but that's after they've done the credits um, that that people like um, John Alderson and uh, and Lawrence Payne aren't, aren't higher up the credits because of course then it was all done in order of appearance by, by the Doctor but uh, that that means that sometimes, you, you know, like episode three of The Underwater Menace, Zaroff gets second billing, which seems so right, even though it's just an accident of, of his appearance. Um, it does, I'm not going to talk about the credits. The, 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 this is the last time, though, Rex Tucker is credited on an episode of Doc 2. We shall talk about why next week when we're all on film. Um, so interesting. I enjoyed that. I Yeah, I definitely think my favourite part is the uh, the scene between dodo and doc holiday where she persuades him to take her back and they have that little face off uh, and then it's revealed that he could have shot her uh, at all time anyway so that's all good what does martin jameson holby city and bbc radio scriptwriter and 
son of Doc Holliday himself, Anthony Jacobs, think about episode three. Wow, I've just finished watching episode three, Johnny Ringo, and um, it's very dark. I mean, the body count, all sorts of people are getting killed. The Charlie, the barman, who was um, who was really good. Somebody called Graham. Somebody Graham is actually one of the better actors in it. He gets killed, although he gets shot and then by a six shooter and then falls forward, which is obviously, uh, you know, physically impossible. But anyway, he, he that's what he does, and he dies, and it's it's terribly sad because we lose one of the better actors. And then there's a lynching, and Peter Purvis is going to be hanged. And, um, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole thing going on with my dad and Dodo Dupont. Dodo Dupont. And, and it's like, wow, what on earth is going on there? It's like really dodgy. And there's a man with a stammer is being humiliated. I mean, it's so great. This was shot before the days of health and safety gone mad. Uh, no, it isn't. That's me being ironic. Do not cancel me. Anyway, it's very dark. I, I, I still haven't got a clue. Johnny Ringo's appeared and he's after some people and there are some people after some people and they come in, they shoot Wyatt Earp's brother. I mean, honestly, I, I, used, to, I used to think that I would struggle with Stephen Moffat's scripts. Right. I hadn't a clue what was going on. But wow, they are clear as day compared to this. I have not got a clue, but I'm going to watch the um, final episode. I have to say, to be fair, you know, there is a thing which is great, which is that it's kind of dirty. You know, the cowboys, they they speak with these sort of semi-English accents, but they've got grime on them, which I like. And Peter Purvis is in a sort of like a fancy dress costume. But um, yeah. Wow, it's kind of trippy. So I'm now going to watch the final episode, which is called The OK Corral. Uh, so this is going to be great. Oh, yeah, and the other thing, the other thing is the Doctor, it's hardly in it. He, he you know, it's not really. It's, was, where are these old Doctor Who's like this, where the Doctor doesn't really appear? He's kind of turns up every now and again and does some kind of quaint old guy stuff. I used to think he was scary, but he's... He's kind of this old guy and he turns up every now and again and says some stuff, but he's nothing to do with the story. That's also really odd. So, um, yeah, um, I'm going to watch the last episode now and I'm very excited about it. Ha! Well, if you think he does nothing this week, you wait till next week, Martin. Um, uh, and... Uh, Martin name-checked uh, uh, Mr. Graham there playing Charlie the Barman. So as I know that Martin will uh, listen to this and probably before I have time to talk to him, because I'll just send him the files, uh, it's not just any old Mr. Graham. It's Peppa Pig's granddad, uh, David Graham, who's also the voice of the Daleks in the 60s, and also Professor Kerensky in the Doctor Who story City of Death, but most famously the voice of Parker from Thunderbirds. Uh, so that is maybe why you enjoyed his performance. So, Martin, he's a blooming legend and uh, still doing Peppa Pig from his uh, bedroom uh, in Hampstead. Uh, he's uh, suffered a stroke recently, but uh, is uh, still working into his 90s is he 96 97 maybe a bit younger than that, actually um uh, but he's uh yeah he's still going strong and uh delivering a performance uh pro propped up and uh and and from home but good for him what a legend and uh yeah i mean his charlie the, as i say i'm not sure it's a performance that massively works for me even though i i i applaud the sentiment behind it but he's supposed to be you know slightly annoying and that kind of so yeah no actually yeah fine um uh and as for phileas's stammer well that was introduced by by morris good just i think because there's not much to differentiate the three clanton brothers they are slightly better drawn in the book i would say um and i, d I don't think it helps that um you know bill is the sort of uh, intemperate youngster and, and there's a few lines that sort of uh, 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 acknowledge that and he's yeah he's the sort of hothead and he he shoots the he shoots the bottles doesn't he in episode one in the bar 
and uh, you know he's a bit of an ass. Um, and there's I think uh, uh, there's a great exchange next week, isn't there? When he goes, I I never mistook you for a I never took you for a back shooter, Ringo. And Johnny Ringo goes, I never took you for any kind of shooter, Billy. Which I can't like, but but you know you can see with with and and Morris Good is you know is as as come in as the as as the actor of the three of the um the Clanton brothers who's just had a big stage success as as perhaps the one with the most the most heft so uh, he's he's probably got can I, can I stick something in here to you know make me stick out so that the 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 Clanton brothers aren't too anonymous especially as the bless William Herndel for all for all he's trying uh he's uh he's he's not making much of an impact as uh, as as Ike so it's the actor throwing in a stutter, which uh, in those days was uh, a bit of a nod for character. I don't, I don't see them particularly that 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 it's doing that to 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 make a victim of him or anything like that. Nobody has a go at Phineas for having a stutter particularly. It's just there for a bit of business. And as somebody who has a bit of a stammer myself, I I don't take it personally, so I don't mind that. And I think we, yeah, I I think. Um, not not everything is offensive, uh, even if it's something that I, if I chose to, I could take offence to. Um, uh, but it interests me that sort of Martin finds the story confusing because because it's very hard, isn't it? When you're a Doctor Who fan and you know this stuff like the back of your hand, I kind of take it for granted. I could extra- explain the plot of this to you, but I have seen it hundreds of times. I, I mean, I mean, I have. Well, not literally hundreds of times, but I've seen it tens of times. I've seen it over 20 times, I should think. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and of course, I've read the book and I've read the Doc 2 archives and I've, I've read the story. And blah, 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 blah. Um, but coming to it once, I'm surprised. And it's, you know, it's, but Martin is a script writer and a very experienced and skilled one. Um, but this seems to me to be perfectly straightforwardly plotted. Any oddness about it is is sort of style and genre uh rather than but it's a it's a bit like when um nicholas parsons is on the uh is on the commentary for the doctor Who story the curse of fenric on the dvd and he goes well of course none of this makes any sense but the doctor who fans they they make it all make sense and you're wanting to go no this this makes perfect sense all of this is happening for a reason it's a bit of you know poor old i feel sorry for Ian briggs who's you know plotted it to the hilton gone and these monsters and this is their back history and the re- they're rising from the sea here because of this this and this and nicholas Parsons is just going to go yeah i'm sure it's all just some sort of crazed accidental smorgasbord of weird ideas flung no he's he's labored really hard to make that work so i i yeah i mean i i i sometimes struggle with um uh some of the um how some of the time paradoxy stuff works in 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 the moffat scripts sure but they they're almost designed to make you sort of want to wrangle them and piece them together and they're intricate jigsaws uh and they're sort of you know there's a deliberate abstraction about those sometimes but uh it's surpri- it surprises me that um that Martin has, has, uh, is is not is not uh, is not finding this as easy to follow. Um, but again, I have the luxury of knowing this stuff like the back of my hand, and I think we forget that sometimes as Doctor Who fans that we are very fluent in a language that, uh, that a lot of people might not be. Um, but I do take the point about the Doctor sort of coming in and out. But I think Donald Cotton's Doctor is very different to other Doctors. But that's what's very interesting about. The, the the series as a whole um in that you know a different writer can come in and have a different idea about how the doctor should uh, should behave i mean whew, i mean different producers come in and under john wiles who had gone by the time that this was on but had been the producer when this story was commissioned i mean there are john wiles episodes where hartnell comes in uh, towards the end of the dalek master plan hartnell you know comes in well you know five minutes before the end of the episode for for a couple of scenes uh, and is hugely underused uh, and the celestial toy maker which has just gone he's, he's he's missing for the middle two episodes apart from his hand and some dubbed dialogue i mean that was so he could have a holiday but um uh, a real holiday for the doctor but um yeah when it was being done 48 weeks a year and you've got a a, a, a leading man who's not in the best of health uh, he yeah he's not as central sometimes but there's an added detachment with with cotton who makes him this slightly sort of um bewildered onlooker uh, which is really going to happen uh, uh next week when the massive final film sequence uh does not require 
In fact, the Doctor's not on film at all for any of this. So, you know, the guest stars, uh, the guest stars um, are are used for, for much of the filming, which is where a lot of those a lot of those pictures that we have, which, you know, really concentrate on the Clanton brothers and uh, and uh, uh, Doc and uh, those guys. Um there's a brilliant shot of Ike on the top of the stairs that's got Ken Westbury, the cameraman, in. So we've got, yeah, lots of lovely film camera work to see next week. But I'm glad uh, Martin is enjoying it. He And he did mention a couple of things that I picked out. The grime, which I think is lovely and authentic and very nice. Although I still am bothered by, by Dodo's flu jab. That still makes my arm ache slightly. Uh, and that scene between Dodo and the doc, which I didn't think was dodgy that was that was that was fun it was fun she was uh she was trying to manipulate him to take her back and you he sort of sensed that he, he really didn't mind her doing it because he kind of agreed but he, he you know he didn't have to and and there's a there's a little sort of game of etiquette there about uh, i kind of want to go back but i'm gonna have to make this this woman's gonna have to threaten me with a gun and i'm gonna have to give her my word and then i'll sort of do it and that that opens up the sort of the story dynamics between him and kate and kate and johnny and that leads us to where we get to at the end which is all lovely so um yeah i think that's a great episode it's a it's certainly a good good episode three as well which has that slightly different dynamic of sexy johnny ringo and his uh, bad guys leather trousers dodo in a hat love dodo in a hat so uh yeah well done my favorite thing was that scene between dodo and doc uh which is also i think my favorite scene for dodo and yeah, we lost Jackie Lane last year and I met Jackie Lane on a train and she's this sort of enigmatic figure and she's not great in most of her Doctor Who and it's lovely to see when she's given something to do. Uh, she has a lot, you know, she has a lot of fun with it and uh, gosh, you know, she's only four episodes. Uh, no, sorry. She, she's uh, eight, eight, in eight episodes time. She's, she's got one more story. Stephen goes next time and then she goes halfway through the following story so you know she's on her way you know she has she probably has she been fired by now does, the, does she know no because I think I'm sure Peter says that you know he was he was told at very very late notice um and I know Innes Lloyd sends Jackie a sort of apology going you know you were the sort of victim of circumstance but I know that she didn't feel that that was quite enough and that that that, that you know that she'd been slightly messed about and uh, uh and I think I think she was and I think I think it was tough being a companion in Doctor in those days because you know um Maureen O'Brien got rather unceremoniously dumped Peter wasn't wild about you know the, the speed with which he was uh, sort of got rid of and the way that it was done. And then Jackie uh, and then, you know, her their replacements, Michael Craze and Annika Wills come in, loads of promise. Fraser Hines turns up and it's right, right, you guys can, you guys can get lost and actually well before your contract is over. And again, in essentially in episode two of your finals, I know they come back for a film sequence in episode six, but they're essentially, you know, hoiked out of the door. It's show but you know we i think of modern show business as being very cruel and unkind but even you know even in the sort of not particularly rarefied atmosphere of a you know weekly tea time serial uh on the bbc in 1966 uh 65 yeah 66 uh you know life was cruel like the wild but actually, there's a lot of specks of blood uh, over all the things that we like to look at. Uh, and on that thought, uh, it's curtains for this episode. I hope you've liked it. This sort of improvisation makes me sound like... I think you'll find... 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 I don't even know why I brought up the cliffhanger reprise, which I think it was just something in William Herndl's delivery of the line that made me think, oh, is that different to how I'm used to it? And of course it wasn't. It's exactly the same because it's the same take. It is the footage from last week. I, I just had a little bit of a sort of brain fart going, oh, is that a thing? And then, of course, enunciated that because 
if something comes into my head, I seem compelled to say it out loud. I then tied myself up in knots over something that if I just had the courage of my convictions and gone, no, it's last week's footage, played into this week, as quite often happened, and that's the case here. So I think you'll find there's nothing for you to tell me I think I'll find, because I think I'll, you'll find that I've already found. I, I'd already found it. I never lost it. I didn't need to even go a-looking. But there we go. I've Yeah, I've just... I, I just have very tiresome mental thought processes that compel me to then indulge in very tiresome verbal outpourings. Just, I mean, you you only have to listen to it. I have I have to be it. Thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Martin Jameson, who can be found on Twitter at SmartArts, but that's arts with a Z, uh, which is the story code of the gunfighters. It all meshes together. I'm grateful to Martin and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include... David Crew, Steve Cuniff, Dave Curran, Simon Curtis, Paul Philip Dalgren, Matt Dale, Rob Dawson, Chris Davies, Hugh Davies, Robert Davies, Shanti Day, Ian Dean, Tim Dickinson, Sean Ditchfield, Drew, Paul Dykes, Andrew East, Jeff Edwards, Andrew Egan, Fleet Boy, Mark Findlay-Smith, Chris Bone, Nev Fountain, David Gillespie-Pratt, Charles Gears, Lisa Gledhill, Robin Grone, Paul J. Guest, Thomas Gerrier, Aaron Gullias, William Hames, John... Uh, Luke Hannington, Susan Harrison, Steve Hatcher, Duncan Harvey, Ronald Hayden, Paul Hayes, Matthew Herbert and Stephen Hill. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Do you know what? In all honesty, I wasn't happy about that sign-off. I I think I was sort of trying to improvise the song and then when I said it, which is a very bad word to try and have as part of a sort of rhyming couplet or whatever. I mean, yeah... it is such a, it's such a sort of anodyne word. I think I could have been a bit more uh, inventive than that. But I thought, well, I'll give, I think, I mean, you think in a split second when you're improvising, don't you? That, well, don't do anything too complicated because then I can come up with something funny to conclude with. And of course, the funny that I did was to break off. Um, and I don't think it was clear. I don't think it works from the delivery or from what I was doing. I think the joke I was trying to do was I was breaking off before I said the word tit. So you'd go, oh, you nearly said the word tit there, but it broke off and that's funny. You know, if funny is something that's been done loads of times and far better in far better circumstances. But um, I don't even think it was that clear. So wasn't clear, wasn't good, but just to prove that it's all live. <laughs> I mean, it's not live. I could go back and re-edit it, but I'm not going to. It's it's easier for me to just abase myself and apologise rather than redo the thing. I think it's dishonest to redo the thing as well. What you get with Happy Times and Places is a stream of consciousness uh, because what you get with too much information and indefinable magic, my other two podcasts, are sort of heavily scripted and poured over and edited and re-edited and blah, blah, blah. And I've got to have some that I can just sort of throw out there. So for, for better or worse, and in the case of the ending of this particular episode, uh, it was worse. But I, I thought I'd let you know I knew that so that you you don't need to let me know because people do, you know, people always let you know. (laughs) If you would like to join that list of names and uh, hear yourself being read out by me over the closing theme, well, that is just one of the bonus things that you get if you are a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. You would have heard this podcast six months earlier as well, if you're listening to this in the sort of normal release schedule on iTunes or Podbean or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Uh, If you're on Patreon, you get Happy Times and Places at least six months ahead uh, and the other podcasts a month or so ahead. There are also some exclusive AMAs and an exclusive podcast called Far Too Much Information, plus various other bits and bobs that uh, non-patrons do not get. That's at patreon.com forward slash Toby You get all of that for as little as £3 a month. There are higher tiers with other little trinkets as you ascend the pay scale. But, um, you know, there's nothing you know essential that you're denied at the at the lowest tier, which is £3 per month. All of the tiers also qualify for a 10% discount if you sign up for a year in one go. And you are charged from the point of joining 
uh, so it doesn't actually matter uh, at which point in the month that you join either so don't worry about that no no tricks or hidden costs or anything like that uh, and it just helps me to spend proper time doing these to record them on decent equipment and to um, you know go back and redo bits that I'm not happy with and do a proper job I hope it's a, a proper job is being done and also to keep these ad free I mean they'll remain ad free anyway because I don't like adverts I don't like sort of break off and go yes look here's a Shane Rimmer here and do you know I was thinking when I was watching Shane Rimmer I really need a uh, a proper grooming set uh, or or uh, ho- food delivered to my doorstep prepared just the way that I would you know all of that I can't do it you could tell how I automatically started stumbling I'm not very good at it so you're not keeping these ad free but you're justifying my des- my decision to not take any money from uh, you know the usual uh, the usual suspects in the old podcasting world I don't want loads of adverts um, on these so there aren't going to be any uh, but if you don't or can't, don't want to or can't do the monthly thing, you can do the odd one-off payment on uh, Kofi, which is just a way of, uh, you know, subsidising the arts, if we can loosely call it that. But in in the way that you might uh, a busker on the tube, if you're walking past and you fancy it, you can uh, you can fling a few coins and they're cyber coins they're internet coins and they're you know metaphorical cups of coffee which is why it's called kofi.com which is ko-fi kofi.com forward slash toby haydock it's the way we do things these days if we're uh, creators of content hate that word uh, we fling this stuff out there and i know it's all free and that's absolutely fine but um, it's also there's a sort of voluntary payment system, which I think seems to it sort of suits everybody. You don't have to if you don't want to or can't. Uh, and if you want to and people do, and I'm very, very grateful. So uh, I'm very happy with the situation. I hope you are, too. And I hope you enjoy what I'm uh, sending out. And if it's just that you sort of enjoy listening and that's that's enough, that's fine. Uh, and I also know that times are tough and we need all the free entertainment that we can get. And if I provide that for you, I am grateful. I am mostly grateful to people just for listening. However, if you can go to iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all those places where you get these, and if there is a, a place where you can review them, please leave a few lines of review and a five-star rating really helps to make my algorithms look very sexy to any passing punter who may wish to take my algorithms home for the night. Oh, yeah. Should we leave that, that metaphor there? But yeah, it costs you nothing, just a little bit of your time. If you could say something nice, and, and, you know, boost that star rating for me. That that really does help, and I would be very grateful. Social media is where it's at. I'm trying to be better at Instagram. I'm on toby.haydoke on Instagram, and I'm learning to edit videos and all sorts. So a lot of it to do with my stand-up comedy night, Excess Malarkey, which is every Tuesday in Manchester. I've been doing sort of potted versions of those. But as this occurs to me, I might do little sort of potted versions of the visual video version of Happy Times and Places, which I've frankly not had the time to to get onto YouTube as 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 much as I would like, which is a shame because a lot of people have recorded, you know, the guests have recorded videos for their introductions and for their their you know choosing of their favourite things, and that would uh, uh, you know they would have benefited hugely from from being available on video, but which was fine in lockdown when I had a bit of time and I was practicing my editing and stuff. But it's it's it, 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 for, for the amount of people watching them compared to the amount of people who download these. Uh, spending time doing the audios seem to be a better system, but I don't want to waste those videos that people have done me. So let's see. But uh, I might do little potted, uh, you know, edited highlights of the visual version to lead people to these. So if that's how you've come here, hello, thanks for coming via Instagram. If you haven't, yeah, I'm I'm practicing with the old videos. I haven't done TikTok yet. People are suggesting that I should. I mean, how many social media platforms does one have to be on? My phone pings now, and I have to check messages, messenger. Uh, WhatsApp. Uh, there are, you know, there are all sorts of different ways. My emails. I've got different email addresses as well. I, I mean, I, I could get a message. Sometimes I spend ages looking for a message and go, I, I actually don't know where that that message actually is. And then if somebody's texted you, but somebody else, you have to find the correct combination to find that text. Where it happened the other day when a friend of ours left us some uh, aquilegia plants on the doorstep, and she texted us, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Um, and also I searched Aquilegia, but she'd called it Aqualibra, so couldn't find that. And it was because I thought she'd she'd 
included her partner in the text stream as well as Chez, my partner. So I was looking for ones with all four of us or just the two of us or just me and Chez. And it wasn't. It was me, Chez and her. So I didn't look for that guy. It's all very complicated. And I'm relatively young. Imagine what I'll be like when I'll be 80. I'll be very confused about everything. But until then, I shall keep making content and bunging it out there. And I hope you can consume it. Oh, this is supposed to be where I'm plugging the social medias. Right. Instagram, Toby.Haydoke. Uh, I want to up my Instagram. I'm bad at Instagram. I'm trying to get better at Instagram because I'm doing all right on Twitter without much effort, you know. But that's the intersection of Doctor Who, comedy and um, impetigo, basically. I have sort of lots of psoriasis followers as well because I did blog about psoriasis for a bit. So it's, it's, it's quite a good, it's quite, quite a, uh, an interesting Venn diagram, that. Well, well bad, bad skin and Doctor Who fans and comedians. Actually, there is quite a lot of crossover. So may, maybe not. Anyway, uh, I'm on Twitter, at Toby Haydoke. I try and put fun stuff out there. I don't like to engage in beastliness on, on any social media, actually. I just try and make people smile or or sometimes inform people that a character actor has died. That's that's me. Death, death and laughter. Um, and uh, these podcasts have their own feed as well, which is useful for me if you follow it. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I put perhaps more details about the, the forthcoming uh, releases on the Haydoke Podcasts t- Twitter feed, which is at Haydoke Podcasts, which, as I recall, this is at 999. So I'm hoping to get it over into the thousand, which I think is not bad. Um, so, yeah, follow, you can follow me there. And also, I have a Facebook page, not my personal one, but I have a sort of, it's called a fan page. Blah, fan page content, blah, blah, blah. But do it, we have to. Whew, I feel all dirty now. Um,. <laughs> it's got to be done, hasn't it? Singing for yourself. People have always had to sing for their supper. And I'm a terrible singer, so I have to... What do I have to do? I have to hoogasm. <laughs> Is that a thing, a hoogasm? I have to have a hoogasm for your pleasure. I have to uh, do an outpouring of love for Doctor Who, uh, hopefully with, you know, some slightly amusing asides and... Uh, you know, a good hard facting. <laughs> so I hope my facting has given you a hoogasm that this whole postscript has taken a taken a turn I wasn't expecting. Thanks for listening, and I hope that hasn't put you off your supper. <laughs>